The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once with, like, basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Before we get into this week's show, I just want to take a moment and remind you about a special deal that we have going on for everyone over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. A lot of people have been asking for a couple of years, hey, can you guys do an annual membership? Instead of signing up month to month uh, and paying month to month, I want to pay all at once and enjoy the 12 months of goodness that you guys put out. And finally, we said, okay, we're going to listen to you guys and we're going to create a yearly membership or an annual membership, whichever way you want to call it. Uh, But here's the thing. Right now, during the month of April and only during the month of April, Anyone who goes to patreon.com slash major spoilers and signs up for the yearly membership, you can do it for the $5, the the silver, the gold, whatever tier that you want to be at. You can sign up for that uh, yearly membership. You're going to get 12 months of content. We're only going to charge you for 10 months. So you're getting two months free in this deal, but only if you sign up during the month of April over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We've had a number of people take advantage of that, including today, uh, Thomas signed up. As a uh, a new annual member, and we want to thank Thomas for all of his help. So what are you waiting for? If you've been sitting on the fence and looking for a deal, we have a deal for you. This is only happening in the month of of April, so do not wait. Point your browser to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Thank you so much in advance. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the 90s are back, and it's going to get extreme with young heroes in love plus break out of prison with missy fight a kaiju with jenny zero spray paint the vegetables and wonder who angelica's playing in the she hulk series it's time for games it's time for comics it's time for all the best of pop culture brought to you by a bunch of great a nerds working 24 7 to bring you the best of the best so back the car and have a yard because the main spoilers podcast is on the ah. Welcome to issue 922 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. Everybody's here this week, including Ashley V. Robinson. Hello, Ashley. Nope. She stepped away for just a moment. Doesn't matter. She's not here anymore. She'll, but she'll oh, be back. she's on mute. And oh, there not you go. Paying att- I was eating a cookie. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Came I'll all the way from England. A, a cookie English all the way from cookie. England. Nice. Ashley is back with us this week, as is Matthew and Rodrigo, and we've got a lot to get to, including Young Heroes in Love. Oh, man, if you wanted your 90210 and your and your uh, real worlds all mixed up together in your comic book superheroes, we got that coming up later in the show. 
But first, how about we jump into some news? Ashley, why don't you kick us off this week with uh, with our news segment? Yeah, and I'm going to lean back and yell Shazam! Except it's not about Shazam. Black Adam is officially in production, and the Shazam sequel is moving ahead with an announcement that Lucy Liu woo, has been cast as the villain Calypso. Exciting! With sister to Helen Mirren's character, Hespera, who nobody knows who she is. According to Variety, the core team of the 2019 Shazam is returning, including Zachary Levi, Asher, Asher Angel, I'm sorry, name twin, it's difficult for me, as Billy Batson and David F. Sandberg, who is directing the film Shazam! Furies of the Gods is scheduled to arrive on June 2nd, 2023. This is pretty cool because we're getting um, Black Adam next year in 2022 and then uh, Shazam in 2023 so it looks like uh like they're doing okay with this i really hope that they capture the same feel or the same spirit as in the first shazam movie because my youngest i took him to see that uh when it came out in theaters that opening weekend and he simply adores that movie um and so i I think shazam fury of the gods is going to be a a pretty big deal for him and and of course i like lucy lou a lot she's one of my favorite uh asian actresses and so I, i cannot wait to see more of her on the big screen my only worry is that those children are going to be five years older. Yeah, that's okay. Maybe we jump the story ahead five years. I think and, we kind of have to, because that's going to make Billy like 24 years old. I mean, unless, or he's, unless they, he is, they could creepily de-age them like the kids from It. <laughs> or You're maybe, still mad about Finn Wolfhard. Maybe, Man, maybe, maybe they have the Ashley Victoria Robinson gene where they could play a perpetual 16-year-old for the rest of their lives. I have played under 20 for longer than I have been in my 20s. See, there you go. Rodrigo, what, what else is coming <laughs> no, down the pipe to us? Long division. All right. If you want some giant robot action, and I know I do, filmmaker Jordan Bot Roberts of uh, Kong Skull Island fame is set to direct and, pr- and produce a live action adaptation of the anime series Gundam for Legendary and Netflix. Brian K. Vaughn is writing the screenplay and will serve as the executive producer of the series. Gundam is set in a future society where human colonies fight for independence from Earth using giant mobile suits. Uh, No word on release date yet, uh, so we will have to wait until casting has been announced and filming begins. Uh, I always get, uh, what is it, Macross Saga and uh, Gundam confused because they both have giant robots and I forget which ones are fighting monsters and which ones are simply infighting. Um... Well, it's it's confusing because much of uh, of Macross is spent also fighting giant robots and, and space robots. So, um, oh, and Gundam, then there's also Gundam e- is a lot more like in. So there's lots of different versions of Gundam, right? Yeah. Um, and each one of them's a little different, but Gundam tends to be a lot more like fanciful. Like you get like giant energy wings and um, stuff like that. Whereas like Macross was a lot more. Uh, kind of settled in in the technology. You didn't see like um, anything that appeared to be magic. Although there's a there's a huge uh, what do I want to say like uh, gradient uh, from sort of like your Macross Plus to Gurren Lagann in in the level of sci fi yeah. hardness. And Gundam tends to live in the middle of that. Where does uh, Evangelion uh, reside? <laughs> Uh, I would I would put it to the left of Gundam. A okay. big part of Evangelion is that, that is that mechs are hard. Like they needed to have like 
building size batteries to like power them up and stuff yeah, and power yeah, their yeah. weapons. So yeah. Yeah. And Macross is steamed together out of three different Japanese series too. Well so. Robotech was. Macross right, is right, one right. of the one of those series. Oh my brain always gets confused. I'm reversed. Strike <laughs> that reverse it. Thank you. I was gonna say as someone who was um deeply disappointed by the lack of big dumb monster fights in Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla mm-hmm. versus Kong. Um I am so excited for this because Kong Skull Island, I think, is like the best of the big dumb monster movies that we've had recently because it knows it's a big dumb monster movie. Yeah. Speaking of big and dumb, <laughs> you guys heard about them Hulks? <laughs> them Hulks, man. So Disney Plus, right, is doing a She-Hulk series. And uh, the secret word that only I know that a guy in a trench coat came out and said to me, Renee Lee Goldsberry of Hamilton fame is going to be joining the She-Hulk series at Disney Plus, uh, joining Tatiana Maslany and Ginger Gonzaga. I believe Tatiana is going to be playing uh, Jennifer Jennifer Walters. Walters. Yes, who's playing the She-Hulk? Tatiana Maslany. A a computer. Uh, Anyway, the show is going to center on Jennifer Walters, Bruce Banner's cousin, who gets Hulk powers after a blood transfusion. But... She's able to retain most of her personality, her brain, and emotional control. We hope. Yeah, that'll be interesting if and when it finally hits. What do you think, Rodrigo? Yeah, um, I'm I'm pretty happy with uh, the way that Marvel series have gone so far. Most like whether however you feel about plot developments and everything, I, I think that. As far as tone, they're really doing what they were doing with the movies, right? It's like, this one needs to be weird. This one needs to be a very straightforward, like, um, action, like, espionage piece. So I'm I'm interested to see what they do with She-Hulk. Very nice. Here at the Major Spoilers HQ, we have a large collection of the uh, Simpsons Lego minifigures. We also have Batman minifigures, Mickey Mouse minifigures, other Disney figure minifigures. And now it's time for the minifigure collection to grow once more and get a little loony because Lego has announced its upcoming blind bag minifigure line. We'll see Bugs Bunny, Lola Bunny, Daffy Duck, Wiley Coyote, Roadrunner, Marvin the Martian, Porky Pig, Petunia Pig, Tweety Bird and Sylvester the Cat, Tasmanian Devil and Speedy Gonzalez hit the toy shelves beginning on April 26th. You can buy these blind bags for $4.99 a piece, which isn't bad for uh, Lego minifigures. Uh, I took a look at these earlier today, and the figures look pretty good, uh, considering that they're that they're Lego-fied. Uh, I think my biggest problem that I always have with the blind bags is you never know what you're going to get unless you uh, have mastered the touching and feeling and know what you know Speedy Gonzalez's uh, uh, hat is going to be like, or you know whatever Marvin the Martian's uh, little uh, brush is going to be on top of his head. If you can identify those through the bags, you can tell which one you're going to get. But to be honest. The difference between Lola Bunny and Bugs Bunny are going to be so tight that I think a lot of people are going to end up with a lot of duplicates of one or the other when they thought that they were getting the other. So that's my biggest uh, gripe, although you can go online and buy the entire collection that someone has already gone down and tracked and hunted for you. But then you're going to be spending something like one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars for that. So just to be on the lookout for those. But, you know, grab one or two here and there. I know my youngest enjoys it when we get to do a. Uh, Lego minifigure Friday where I do a little quick um, Instagram thing where he opens it up and we build it and take a look at it really quick. He enjoys that. So maybe that's something we will be doing in the future on the major spoilers, Instagram page. Nice. 
Yeah. All right, everybody, you can join the conversation about these news stories and a whole lot more over on our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free, or if you are a Patreon member at patreon.com slash majorspoilers, you can link your Patreon account to the Discord, and then you get access to even more features in the Discord server, including recording live every Thursday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, the, um, the Dueling Review podcast. And this week, Matthew and I are taking a look at the brand new Lock and Key Sandman uh, what is it? Uh, Key to Hell or Hell is kind of Hell and Gone or whatever it's called. Uh, Hell the and news, Gone, yeah. Yeah, uh, from IDW Publishing and DC Comics. Should be a lot of fun. Hope to see you there this Thursday. Also, when you sign up over at patreon.com slash major spoilers, you get access to the pre-show. This week, we're talking about uh, what kind of organizations would we fund. We talk about big, dumb uh, TV shows and movies. And we talk okay. about uh, Ashley moving into her new place. Just some of the things that we're talking about this week on the Major Spoilers pre-show. Let us jump into some reviews. Oh, Ashley, I've been hoping that somebody would want to talk about Invincible. And uh, you are you are out of the block talking about the Invincible uh, show. I have really enjoyed this a lot, but I want to get your thoughts on it. I am she. I am shall. Um, I have been saying that Invincible should be a cartoon as long as I've been into Invincible, which uh, if I was not cool enough to be into Invincible when it dropped in like 2003 or something like that. But I've been into Invincible for a very long time. And then they said, Steven Young is going to do the voice. And I said, I love Keith. So I was very excited right off the bat for this show. And then it said, J.K. Simmons is going to be Omni-Man. And I said, I used to see him at the Arclight. R.I.P. Sherman Oaks Arclight in Los Angeles. <laughs> They're never opening up again. Uh, so I have been, I feel like I've been preparing for this series for like my entire life, like a good half of my life. I've been like, there really needs to be an invisible cartoon. And then they made one and it's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> if you are a fan of the comics, the pacing is definitely different. They have moved some reveals up from like the end of the second volume where the series really kicks into place, which is why when you work in comics retail, you scream in people's face, you have to read the first two volumes of Invincible or you won't get it. Uh, and they move up the reveals of characters like, I'm not going to say this is a spoiler because this character debuted like 15 years ago, Alan the Alien, who was <gasps> also announced in the Variety announcement. Mm -hmm. He comes up a lot earlier and is really fun. 20 out of 10, very much like. Uh, and the thing about that is when you are a Diet of the Wool comics fan, sometimes you can have mm, emotional attachments to the way quote unquote stories are. I say this as the person who has read the Silmarillion six times <laughs> and is very concerned about how the second age is going to be told and whether or not sexy, sexy Sauron is going to be in it. Um, so the the pacing and the the choices of introducing characters early or changing them a little bit um, has thrown me off and I've spent my time watching Invincible going, yeah, this is pretty good, but it's like not exactly what I hoped it would be. And I am happy to report back my friends that episode five is where it all coalesces. And I'm like, yes, this is the Invincible cartoon that I've been wanting since I was a teenager. And what's really gratifying about that is for a TV timeline, five episodes is really good. It takes Arrow like a solid 10 episodes to get good and then a whole first season to get like actually watchable. And I say this as somebody who <laughs> really likes Arrow. So I, it takes every Star Trek show an entire season to be like, what is this show? Not a TNG clone? Unless it's Lower Decks, in which case uh, 10 out of 10 came out of the gate really good. But I feel like uh, episode five is where you start to get Mark's 
dueling romantic relationships coming to a head between Amber and Eve. They put Eve in boy shorts. And as a, a, a huge fan of Adam Eve, I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Like the costume upgrade is so minimal, but it's so important and it's so good. And it protects the integrity of a 16 year old superhero. And we're also getting Mark starting to understand I guess I won't spoil this part, even though I feel like it's the thing that everybody knows about Invincible. Mark is starting to unravel the main uh, narrative thrust and violence and tragedy that's driven the show up to this point. And Mark Grayson is many things, including Invincible. And a smart cookie is not always what he is. He's much more of a Dick Grayson type than a Tim Drake type, for example. And watching him start to coalesce what has been happening in the uh, macrocosmic world of superheroes in his universe as he has finally settled into who he is as invincible and how he relates to all of that while the microcosm of his personal life is falling apart I think is really well handled here I think the cast is really locked in uh, Zachary Quinto as robot is a casting choice that I didn't know I needed but I guess concerning he played Spock shouldn't be surprised that he's really good and I was so so pleased that Maybe I finally relaxed. Maybe everybody who worked on the show finally relaxed by episode five. And we all said, okay, we know what we're into now. Uh, But I loved this episode. I can't wait for the rest of the season. And as someone who's been waiting for this for a very long time, it's so gratifying when, to your taste and your opinion, something really, really lands. And just give me 167. I don't know how many uh, issues of Invincible there are. More episodes. I will watch them all. Seth Rogen, thank you, which is something I never thought I would say in my life. <laughs> yeah, five also, out of five. Loved episode five. <laughs> he also gets to play alien, uh, Alan the Alien. Is is he voices that that character? Yeah. He's and he's really good. Like yeah, he yeah. actually, like he's really good as Alan. He's very funny. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, wow, okay, cool. I, I like some of the little things. Like they've totally changed the Amber character around, and they've changed her story quite a bit in in the yes. uh, in the story, as well as taking what was. Uh, what was his uh, best friend's name? Who's basically been William. written out of. Yeah. He's been basically written out of the story at this point. And then of course we've got Damien Darkblood, who has been moved up quite yeah. a bit in the story, which, you know, before he's always just been this character in the background, but here he's taking a main point in the, in the story, at least until that thing happens. Uh, uh-huh, but uh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I, I, it's, it's I, one I of those shows like that the show is acknowledging, like, that the world is uh, slightly more racially diverse than uh-huh. it maybe was yeah. reflected in the original comics. Like Amber is not right. a blonde and yep. that's great. Yep. yep. Well, the other thing that I enjoy is everyone who's never read Invincible and how they're talking about, oh man, uh-huh. this is just like, uh-huh. they're just straight up copying everything from the comic books. And it's so cool that they just don't even give a care and they're just doing this straight up. And I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point. And it's just like, oh, so, so, uh, so great to see new people discovering uh, invincible for the first time now so uh, and we we love how everybody comes to all ips whether it's through the original source material yeah. or an adaptation that's a beautiful thing about adaptation is it opens it up often to a wider audience the other things that's really surprising about this each episode is almost an hour long mm-hmm. and if you watch the title credit each episode it gets bloodier and bloodier and bloodier yep oh the show is very like the comic i was i'm always nervous to eat when i watch it <laughs> yeah yeah because you never know when the eyeball because there's always an eyeball when the eyeball is coming at you yeah, but. yeah. I, I just enjoy that new splatter of blood every every yep, uh, title literally title that pops covering up. the logo in blood it's yep. awesome matthew what's going on over in the doctor who universe this week well 
the Doctor Who universe is doing something wonderful in that they are actually celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Master. And they are celebrating it with a mini-series featuring the sort of, kind of, latest, but not absolute latest incarnation of the Master, Missy, uh, in a strange story written by Jody Hauser, art by Roberta Ingranata. Uh, this is a, a comic that I didn't know that I needed. But it's an interesting comic nonetheless. Uh, it begins with Roger Delgado, the original master, or someone who looks just like him, you know, drawn on paper, in jail. And you see the third doctor, you know, the one with the uh, big frilly outfits and the velvet coats, arguing with the warden of the prison, pointing out that he doesn't know exactly how dangerous the person he's dealing with is. And of course, then, you know, when we find out that it's actually the master in prison, the warden is like, oh, no, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, someone shows up claiming to be the doctor. And it's Missy. And she's dressed exactly the way that she dressed in the comics, except now that she's the doctor, she has to do something weird and eccentric. So she's got rubber duckies on her hat. I really kind of enjoy that silly moment right there. So you get two stars right there for rubber duckies on the hat. Um, but Missy is claiming to be the doctor and trying to get the master, the first master, her original incarnation to work with her, all the while lying to him and claiming that she is Doctor Who. Because if you recall, you know, season 12 of Doctor Who, she argued with the doctor about how his name was really Doctor Who because the showrunner hates us. He hates us all and he wants us all to die. But nonetheless, as this story goes on, it becomes clear that once again, the master will backstab anybody, including herself. So we come to a point where she breaks him out of prison and they're trying to get out of prison. And suddenly he attacks her with a sword. And as the issue ends, two incarnations of the master are about to sword fight. Now the issue solicitation promises the third and the 12th doctor neither of whom actually physically appear in the issue, and one of whom appears you know, briefly for about four panels on a screen. But that's really kind of not the point. This is the incarnation of the Master who was trying, or at least seemed to be trying, to go straight. And I can't tell whether there's something evil going on here, or whether she's actually trying to do something good in the universe. And honestly, it doesn't matter. Because what it's going to come down to is a whole bunch of, you know, people traveling in time and maybe possibly the third and 12th doctor yelling at each other, which I think is probably what I'm in for the price of admission. There are some confusing spots, and most of that confusion comes from the fact that I've seen two whole seasons of Doctor Who that come after the season in which this one is thoroughly ensconced. But even that is something that you can overcome. Three out of five slices of meatloaf. Looking forward to 12 and three yelling at each other. If only nine could be in there, it would be like a beautiful day. All right, there you go. Uh, coming out this week from Dark Horse Comics, it is Jenny Zero, number one, from Dave Dwanch and Brockton McKinney with art by Magenta King. This is a story about Jenny Tetsuo, who is um, 
uh, how, how to, she's a party girl, or at least she is a party girl as this uh, issue opens up. She's drunk, hungover, but we also find out that she is also the military's top kaiju killer, and she's been in retirement for a couple of years, but now they need to bring her back in because there's a new uh, kaiju attack imminent, and she's got to overcome her uh, her hangover and wearing a giant uh, fish thing on her hand so that she can blow the, the kaiju away. And she also has to deal with something that we are not really quite sure of what's going on with some uh, issues with her father, who was, I guess, the head of the military task force in charge of Kaiju. And now her uncle is in charge. And so she's got some family issues that she has to deal with. And she is like, uh, I will never live up to be what my father was or something. So we get some mysterious things going on with her father, which may be kind of answered by the time we get to the end of the issue. And she goes through a dramatic change. Um, It is an interesting story. I think right now, I think it's perfectly timed with the Godzilla versus Kong or Kong versus Godzilla movie that is out. And if you're just into big, dumb kaiju monster type fighting stuff, I think this will go right up your alley as well. Um, I, th- I Once I got into re- the story part of it, I was a little bit more drawn in. But I got to say, the art by King is not something that is usually up my alley. So I wasn't a huge fan of the art overall. But again, that's my personal taste. Some people are going to be totally into this. If you're into, what is that, Shaolin Cowboy? I forget who the artist is on that one. But if you're into that kind of uh, art, uh, King, I think, is is relatively closer in that same sphere as the art that you see in Shaolin Cowboy. Uh, so I guess I, Jeff Darrow, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Probably. Uh, but uh, if you're into that, that you'll probably like it. Overall, I found the story very interesting. The art may be a little less so, but it is an interesting. It is an interesting story, right? It is an interesting visual story as well. There's a lot of gloopy and there's a lot of uh, slimy stuff that goes on, so you you get a lot of that. There's also a little bit of nudity. So if you are uh, under the age of uh, 18 or 16 or however old you have to buy to be a uh, buy a Playboy magazine these days, uh, you got to be careful so your mom and dad don't catch you with the with the things that has the girls' boobies out. Uh, but, um, but otherwise it's a fine story. I, I, I am kind of interested to see if the implications of the final panel are what she's talking about, uh, in relation to her father with issue number two. So I'm going to at least pick up and, and flip through, uh, Ginny zero number two, but for now, Ginny zero number one out this week from dark horse comics is going to get three and a half slices of meatloaf from me. Let's take a look at comics coming up in the weeks ahead. Uh, Rodrigo, I really thought you'd jump in and check out that Magic the Gathering a comic book that came out last week. But you're going to go and see Orphan and the Five Beasts from Dark Horse Comics. It comes out next week. Yep, that's right. Um, Orphan and the Five Beasts. I reviewed the first issue quite likely a month ago. Um, <laughs> and... Um, I really, I really liked it. It's got a very like Shaolin uh, kind of seventies Hong Kong cinema kind of feel to it, um, and uh, this is the the second issue as the um, as the orphan orphan Mo uh, faces off against the first uh, great beast. Uh, this being a martial artist who, uh, if you if you recall. Um, Five people came to this martial arts master to learn his techniques so they could fight off these terrible bandits um, and like their bandit god king. So the martial arts master was like, okay, I will teach you, but you have to come back after you beat him so I can teach you basically the self-control necessary, basically so I can finish this training, right? Train you to, to do all the, the philosophical part of the martial arts. But they never came back. 
became corrupted, and now they are running all over the countryside causing problems. So this is the, the fight between the first one of those disciples and the orphan, who is uh, a student of the master who has completed her training. Um, it This comic is very bloody, very weird, um, very violent, but pulls it off in like a really amusing and interesting way. Um, it's got that thing of uh, where the uh, uh, one character gets uh, super killed, and then you're like, okay, well, that character's dead, and then turns out that part of their secret technique is not being dead. Um, so you end up in like a second fight where uh, that character is like in a second form, right? Um, you know, lots of fun tropes like that, but executed in a way that is that I haven't seen in a while. Um, so I'm enjoying this comic book a lot. Uh, it's very probable that next month I will also review it. Um, but I can't promise anything. So you, your listeners, should go check it out. I'm going to get four slices of meatloaf. Uh, this is written and drawn by James Stokoe, I think. Um, and it's all fantastic. The, the plot, the dialogue, the art, it's all really great. Very good. Very, very good. Uh, thank you for that, Rodrigo and Ashley and Matthew. And dear listener, if you want even more reviews, then you know what you need to do. Point your browser over to Majorspoilers.com, where we have reviews going up every day of the week. And uh, we are able to do that all because of you who go and read the reviews, comment on the reviews, retweet our reviews. Really, thank you to everybody who retweets any of the stories that uh, appear on the uh, Twitter timeline. The more of you that do that, the more people see our things. And it's great when uh, so many of you who are listening, who are also comic creators, uh, also uh, share our messages with everyone else. So we're happy to share uh, your work with others, and we appreciate that as well. You can find out more by following us over at Major Spoilers. It's that simple. And listen, if you have any questions or comments, if you'd like to see something different being done here on the Major Spoilers podcast, you want to see an addition to something, you want to see us change something, if you like what we're doing, then uh, just drop us an email, podcast at Majorspoilers.com, and uh, we'll certainly take uh, your thoughts into advisement. All right, now we are into the best part of the show, the show uh, where we discuss uh, a trade paperback. And this week we are getting a, a treat because I'm not sure you can get this in a collected trade because Young Heroes in Love by uh, Dan Raspier and Dev Madden. Uh, they this is surprising, especially for a series that came out of DC Comics in the 90s. They retain all of the rights to the art and the characters and they retrain all of that, which is something you typically don't see at, at DC Comics. And that is probably why we've never seen a collected edition of this is because they have the rights and DC doesn't. So yeah, Same thing happened with Major Bummer around the same time, which oh, really? did get collected. Yeah, I wonder if that was having to do as a reaction to Image Comics because Image Comics was all creator-owned. And so many mm -hmm. people left Marvel and DC because of the creator-owned rights. And I wonder if that had something to do with it. Oh, absolutely. I mean... I mean when you're talking about, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. That's cool. I was going to say, when you're talking about young heroes in love, there's a giant asterisk that says, in reaction to the comics coming out of image, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And yeah. then you can just say whatever you want about this comic. 1997, 
was a bad year for comics. And they were coming off of one of the biggest crashes in history. They were recovering from, you know, a couple of really bad speculator booms, uh, huge inflation of comics through 93, and then just almost a complete deflation of everything in 96. So in 97, DC and Marvel were both going crazy and throwing everything at the wall. This is around the time that we started to see things like, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man, the whole Ultimate Universe. We got all of these, you know, weird niche comics. And yeah, Superman Blue, Superman Red. Yeah, that that was part of the boom, though. Um, that was also part of the bust. But yeah, Young Heroes in Love is one of those books that I can't believe ever, ever got printed. But boy, I'm happy that it did. Well, so... Give us a rundown of what this is about. This is basically, um, you know, real world meets superheroes and they're all getting it on or trying to get it on. Well, yes. Keep in mind that in 1997, I was 26 years old. So this hits right in my sweet spot. This is a story of a bunch of loosely uh, related superheroes, not related as in related to one another, because that would make all the getting it on gross. But people who not if you each go other, to a certain website, they, that seems to be one of their big topics. Stop it! Not if you go to certain monarchies. Stop it! <laughs> including a very contemporary one. Look, I am not going to marry my cousin and be married to him for fifty-seven years. No, yeah, but you did make out with uh, uh, Elvira, though, and she's your cousin. I've never made out with Elvira, and she's my mother's cousin, which makes her a third cousin, which doesn't count. But that's not the point. Why are we even talking? <laughs> Shut up. Okay. I'd so, take out with her. Yeah, I might too. Okay. Young heroes <laughs> in love. It's the story of a bunch of young heroes in ostensibly weird corners of the DC universe who come together to change everything under the leadership of the uh, two-fisted, perfect blonde superhero hard drive who absolutely has no terrible secrets and uh, no agenda and no horrific uh, evilness uh, lurking in the background. And they are a bunch of 20-somethings and late teens. And so once they start this team, they also start the ritual uh, coupling and uncoupling and decoupling and recoupling that happens with, you know, I lived in a dorm. I don't know if you knew this. But I lived in a dorm in the 1990s, and I got to tell you, part of the reason this book is so special to me is because it's so realistic. This is what happens if you stick a bunch of people in their 20s in an enclosed space together. This is what happens, man. You know, they have superpowers and they sleep together, and it's a thing. And that's pretty much the series right there. Um this is yeah. a lot of this is a lot of so one of the things that we lost uh thanks to uh Wortham was we lost the romance genre comic books. I'm sure you would have a little romance storylines where you know superhero falls in love with girl and girl ends up in refrigerator kind of thing. But prior to you know the 1950s and the you crackdown on, on comics and the comic code and everything, uh you could find romance comics and they were you know aimed at at young women and uh, girls who were reading these things. In fact, there were probably as many girls, if not more girls reading comics at the time. But then after that, the romance comics, because now. well, yes, true. But at the time there was just this, the romance comics just dried up. And so you didn't really see that uh, in comics that much. Now, of course, as Ashley said, we are starting to see a lot of that start to come back. Uh, and we're starting to see the, the rise of, um, you know, the, the, Female readership dipped off for a long time, but it's now strong and as strong as ever. Um, And so when you look at Young Heroes in Love, 
you're bringing that romance aspect of comics back into it, but you're just throwing in that superhero flair that I, you know, at this point, comic code doesn't mean anything, but um, you're getting that romance stuff that was probably would not have been accepted, you know, 30 years before. Oh, absolutely. And there is not there. I, I don't think there are any uh, exposed breasts or genitalia. No, this is this is definitely a DC comic. I mean, if you're going to have Superman yeah. appear in your issue, you've got to keep it clean. I mean, there's a lot of um, uh, steam in the right places and snow and fire <laughs> in the right places. And, you right. know, tongues are, I mean, are kept firmly in mouths. It's very. Um, if you've read the Power Girl series, these a lot of those same tricks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's uh I, I like to, I, I've, I've told people, you know, talking about young heroes in love, um, they're like, oh, is it, is it like racy? And, and I'm like, it's like from here to eternity racy. Yeah, that's, right. that's like, the interesting thing. Like, right? There's a lot of people like holding each other's, like clearly in ecstasy, like holding each other's faces and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like evocative. It's like, oh, this is like nice sex. Yeah, and especially coming out in the 90s, because this in the 90s would have been a lot racier, especially when uh, Frostbite and what's the fire girl's name? Um, bonfire. Yeah, Bonfire, especially when they're getting it on for like a whole issue. And that's I mean, uh, it's just page after page. Exposed nipples. Frostbite's got you covered. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, those are probably and he wears a, a thong, a speedo thong. So well, and he, he's also, you know, got pure sniffles. The, the issue that I always remember as being the racist is Bonfire and Frostbite having sex while junior awkwardly hides until monster girl shows up yeah. to have sex with junior while watching bonfire and frostbite who actually know they're there because they can see heat signatures. Yeah. So basically you've got two couples having sex and watching each other. And I'm just like, I can't believe they got away with this but in it, a DC comic. But again, in terms of, things we might have seen in other comics from other publishers. I'm not saying Dark Child would have done this or Witchblade would have done this and done it any differently. But when it's coming from DC Comics, they're keeping it relatively tame. Although, at the time, I think this would have been super racy. Today, this is super tame. I mean, Witchblade would have definitely been racier, but not by much. much yeah 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 just, which just yeah, more which by like the style and, and the and the there's like just a little bit more cheesecake in in so, your witchblade yes yeah, so and i love witchblade <laughs> so let's compare 20 years ago or 30 years ago whatever this was 97 so 20 years ago um we're looking at young heroes in in love and we're seeing frostbite and bonfire doing their things and then let's jump ahead to today and let's look and see what's going on in sunstone you know and it's totally you know, uh, totally a lot. There's out in Sunstone. <laughs> yeah. Sunstone is also a creator-owned book, and I, there were places published by Image Comics. There, but there were places that you could get flat-out sexy, sexy nudity. You could get yeah, there was adult comics, yeah. and I, there were adult comics that were available that weren't like full-on pornographic comics. I mean, there's a big blue wiener in Watchmen, which came sure. out in the '80s and was put it's out a, by DC yeah. Comics. All in all, if you're going to approach this comic, I would say it's relatively tame. You're not going to be, I don't think you're yeah. going to be shocked by anything you read in this. So, so don't, you know, don't. don't let this, don't let this uh, discussions of the sex that all these guys are trying and girls are trying to have, uh, get in the way of, of your enjoyment of this story. The question is though, Rodrigo, is this an enjoyable story? Hmm. That's, that's an interesting way to phrase that question because although I find this to be an enjoyable book, it doesn't have much in the way of story. <laughs> yeah. Fair. It's that's very fair. Yeah. Um I that's 
so uh, tell me tell me if this sounds like like you guys' experience on this. So you're reading uh, Young Heroes in Love. They start setting up something like, oh, like Hard Drive is a bad guy. And it's like, oh, and Monster Girl is in on it. And then they just like very purposefully will just totally deflate the stakes. Mm-hmm. Right. And this keeps happening sort of as like characters kind of have like coups about who's like in charge and relationships co- go up and down. But like anytime there seems to be like something like hardcore, like, oh, a character is going to get kicked out of the team or, um, or, oh, it turns out that this person's bad. Like they just kind of, you know, deflated. They kind of forgive each other. Um, there's kind of this disturbing thing where, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Thunderhead has sex with Monster Girl without realizing it's Monster Girl. He thinks he's having sex with Bonfire. Right. right? And I don't think they ever address that. No, they don't get to because the series gets canceled with uh, issue 17 or whatever it was. And it gets revealed almost as a joke in issue 17 and Bonfire's response is, oh, that's why it was so weird. And that's really the whole of it. I mean, okay, officially, the Young Heroes Apologist has logged on, beep boop. The thing that I really enjoyed and still do enjoy about this book, although somewhat less, is the fact that they absolutely do kind of deflate all of the big, dramatic superhero moments. Like the big, giant monster Grundomo shows up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they start to slide into a big, giant fight. But then it turns out that something entirely else is going on and Grundomo is like, okay, bye. And you get to a point where it kind of almost, I don't want to use the RL word, but it feels like more like real life story in that you have these big moments happening. But in a lot of ways, people kind of change a lot more incrementally. So terrible things will happen and they'll basically be the same people for a while. But I feel like yeah, I as you get to the end of the book and that last issue where we reveal what is the deal with Monster Girl, I feel like it, that's the point where the, the the book really should have started taking off and instead it's the cancellation point. Yeah, I, I don't right. know. Because it seems like there are times where people are doing horrible things and they're just like, okay, Hard Drive is going to go upstate and he's going to uh, you know go get his head um, worked on and and come out a better person on the other side. And then the next time we meet him, he's like, oh, I'm your governor. And it's like, oh, okay, we just jumped <laughs> over a whole whole section of him actually running for the governorship and, uh, uh, you know, all those things that those heroes should have been aware of. And there's times where this starts to become a really interesting um, superhero story. But then, of course, it it doesn't. It, it doesn't go anywhere. And I think that's its biggest failing is it doesn't know whether it, it doesn't know how to mix the hero aspect and the romance uh, aspect of it and tell a compelling story in the long run. Sure. The romance aspect by itself. Interesting. The hero as the story aspect. Interesting. Combined together, they don't really mesh well. And I think that's my biggest problem is you just kind of like, yes, it's it's interesting to read. And yes, there are some interesting moments. But overall, there's just it just felt lacking. It, it kind of was like. Uh, Halloween, right? You get all of this candy and you eat all this candy. And when you're done eating all this candy, you're like, well, that was certainly fun. But 
it probably wasn't that great for me. And that's kind of what this this feels like. Yeah, I think maybe a good comparison is Next Wave. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have read Next Wave. Um, the focus of Next Wave is not really the superheroics. It's the characters just constantly nagging each other in hilarious ways, right? Um, but Next Wave takes the subversive humor and it takes the superhero stuff and weaves them together into an ongoing plot. Right. Um, for Young Heroes in Love, it's trying to do something that's similar to that, but uh, often it seems that the two, the, the romance and the superheroics are at odds, which they don't need to be. Um, right. And often it seems that um, often, like to me, often it seems like this book actually doesn't even want to be a superhero comic. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it just it just bails on a lot of the superhero stuff, and it doesn't need to. It can do both because mm-hmm. superheroes' lives are often threatened by their circumstances, and that's a great place to put um, heartfelt confessions or sudden bursts of anger at a teammate slash lover or whatever. Like, there's lots. That you can do when you put your characters in danger and i don't think there was one instance in this book of like characters being in danger and confessing something to each other or even saying something tender to each other like during a stressful moment that wasn't like that wasn't like relationship stressful that was actually right. like a dragon's trying to eat you stressful yeah so i was kind of and 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 as you said earlier about there's very little repercussions for things i think that's the other thing that makes this feel somewhat flat is it's like oh uh, you've been mind controlling us to sleep with each other oh that uh, that's gross and sick well, we need to do something about this and at least have a couple of uh, panels of them punching the crap out of a hard drive but no it's like oh okay well um i guess uh, rape is not a big deal and not something that we need to talk about uh, in this book um, uh, but, uh, go ahead and go, uh, into therapy and we'll see you as our next governor. And so I think those yeah. are the things that just don't, you know, don't sit right. And I remember picking up several of these issues when they originally came out. Um, but I always remember reading them and going, oh, okay, well, yeah, hmm. even then I was just not overly thrilled with the stuff that I'm getting in there. That being said, there's nothing wrong with sitting down and reading this for just funsies, right? Ashley, I, I mean, you've been mighty quiet during this discussion. I'm going to be honest, um, as someone who knows nothing about the real world, that's not the discussion about racism that went viral 30 years after it happened. Um, Maybe that's a missing piece of it for me, because by the end of the second issue, I was like, I don't really understand why this is a series that people talk about. Everyone seems pretty icky. The art is is fine. It's not to my taste. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely a book. And like Young Heroes in Love Love is a series that I've heard about for a long time. And maybe it was built up too much. Maybe it's because um, I was not a teenager or a young adult in the 90s. But I like 90s comics. And I read it and I was like, this is fine. Like, there's nothing super objectively wrong with it. But like, I can't tell you any of their names except Bonfire because I thought it was like kind of clever. There's a blue guy with nipple rings. Uh, They ripped off the car from uh, Mage. And it just sort of ends, you know, like I I was hoping for a lot more than what I got. And that's 
I mean, that's probably just the baggage that I brought into it. Like, I don't think the book is bad or anything, but like, I don't know who to recommend this. To. this is, I don't this really is... know who this is for, except maybe like people who were in their 20s in the 90s. Yeah, this is this is this is a book that just sits in that weird corner of comic book history. In, and I don't hey, want to be like mean about it because, like I said, there's nothing wrong with it. But I was just no, like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of. Uh, I think you're kind of echoing what Rodrigo and I have kind of mentioned. It's just one of these things that just kind of sits there. It's really interesting because I think that they were trying to do something different. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that this issue that this series ended, Matthew, because of low sales. Um, it came out at a time where a lot of books were just going 12 and 24 and disappearing. I don't know what the sales were like. I would not be surprised either. Um, but I do know that, um, Ashley says she enjoys nineties comics. There's an important thing you need to know about young heroes in love. It does not read like a nineties comic. It is not a nineties comic in the traditional sense that we think of a nineties comic, but what it is is highly influenced by 90s film. It's mm. influenced by things like Reality Bites. It's influenced, you know, uh, like Linklater's films. It's really heavily influenced by, and Stephen called it, the real world, because the interactions are actually more the point than any of the superheroics. And it really feels like how much can we get away with and still try and make it fit as a superhero comic because this is coming out at the same time that you know Kyle Rayner is Green Lantern, uh, Guy Gardner is a shirtless guy running around with weird tribal tattoos and calling himself the Warrior. This is the point where Wolverine's you know wearing a handkerchief and doesn't have a nose. It's a really deep dark hunk of comics history, and this is not '90s comics necessarily. Now, so the interesting thing is. Um... I'm looking over at Comicron.com, which is an excellent resource if you're trying to find out information like sales data and those kinds of things. Uh, issue number six, which came out in September of 1997, uh, hit smack dab in the middle of the list of the top 300. It came in at 144, so it's not exactly in the middle of the list, but close enough. Um, it sold 17,000 copies, which by today's standards would put it into a top 20 comic easily. Um, so just kind of keep, keep that in mind, but yeah, by the time that you're at issue six and you're midway through the pack, I'm going to look at its final issue in 98, probably was that August, September of 98. Um, I'm going to bet that it's, that it's much lower than that. Uh, there's young justice. Young the one Heroes million issue was the last. Oh yeah. The one million issue is the last issue that hit at one thirty eight, And still the, the numbers were not dipping. Uh, 17902 was how many of that sold for that final issue. So it, it wasn't a horrible seller. Uh, I just, uh, again, it, it goes back to who, who is this, who is this targeted towards at the time? And unlike dark child and Witchblade and what are the other sexy lady comic books that you weren't allowed to buy Rodrigo? Um, <laughs> Miss uh, and yeah. Gen, Gen 13, Gen 13, yep. at least Lady Gen 13, Death. I would say, you know, if you're trying to yep. say what is uh young heroes in love most like it's most like Gen 13 in that, Ooh. in that I, it is, it is these sexy, it's these sexy peoples with powers who are also in the, in some cases trying to get it on with each other and, um, and trying to do super heroics. So it, it, it falls in that adjacent area. I mean, I, I, I think I, I think that's true, uh, but 
the I think the comparison to Gen 13 is really weird because I I think that everything that Gen 13 was ever trying to do as far as the characters, Young Heroes and Love does better. Mm. Um, but also uh, everything that it wanted to do as far as super heroics, they both do badly. Yeah. Yes. Gen um, 13 is almost a, not, not quite a deconstruction, but an inversion of X-Men. Yeah. Gen 13 is very plot driven, very conspiracy oriented, very, you know, dark people in government secrets and guys who are way above their, you know, pay grade. And young heroes in love is a bunch of kids that you might meet in a bar in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. And their, feel- their secret headquarters even very much looks like, that one friend, the oldest member of your friend group who has their own place and it's slightly bigger than anywhere you've been before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like the I, one that I has a steady like... job just has a decent yeah, apartment. Nah. I feel like yeah, they're yeah, both yeah, yeah. they're wanting to be in the same space, but I, I really feel like Young Heroes in Love has less in common with Gen 13 than it does if you're looking at image, it's actually I would say Savage Dragon. Mm. Because Savage Dragon is as much about characters wandering around and having sex and getting into fights that have nothing to do with punching people as anything else. And young heroes in love, I think has in the course of 17 issues, four really good fights. One of them is in the final issue at which point we're having to cram in all the exposition about everybody and put it all in there and make sure it's Mm -hmm. there. And it's just, you know, it's chock full of nuts, but Issue number 17, know. issue number 17, the price, there's actually a price hike that went on over that year. Um, issue six was $1.75. By the time we hit 98, uh, issues have jumped up to $2.50. Issue 17 was 198 on the top 300 list and sold 10,000 copies. So, yeah, it does look like the the curve was starting to go down and maybe that $1 million, uh got a, a boost simply because it was that $1 million gimmick of, was that a whole month or was that a fifth week event? I forget, but... Uh, one uh, million was a two month event, I believe, because okay. there was DC one million number one and number two. Oh yeah, yeah. So you like, know, that it's, Omni, a, it's a gimmick. That Omni's huge, so it had to have been longer than a week. Yeah, so yeah, it was a, it was a gimmick kind of thing. But uh, so you can kind of see where the you know the series was starting to fall. But you know, I can go down the list, and here we see. Um, let me see another one. Uh, Dead Corpse uh, number two was uh, at one ninety eight. If you remember that from DC Comics. What and, the hell is a dead corpse? And then uh, Essential Vertigo Swamp Thing final issue was at 220. And the Animaniacs uh, number 41 came in at 222 in that oh. list. So, you know, there's a whole the bunch of other. They, I think that's the issue where they cross over with Freakazoid. Yeah, maybe. Um, also, Looney Tunes number 45 was uh, down further on the list. So there's definitely a lot of other comics that are down further in the list. Ashley said she didn't really care for the art. Uh, I really kind of, the issues that Dev Madden worked on. Okay. I liked I, the art on the women. I didn't care for the art on the men. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I kind of dug uh, Dev Madden's art throughout. I, I kind of like how he does like Thunderhead and um, off ramp, uh, you know, and, and even the women, I like how he draws that there. The, it's very roundy, very cartoony kind of thing. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if um, you looked at, some of the Batman animated series comic books and not be able to draw a connection mm-hmm. between the art styles. But yeah. um, for whatever reason, it seems like every third or fourth issue, they've got a fill in artist and I wasn't really keen on the fill in artists in this. Yeah. There are some fill in artists who just don't fit the premise. And you know, Mike Parabek, I think was the guy doing Batman adventures doing the Bruce. Mm-hmm. Tim, yeah. Tim yeah. Style I've, got a, stuff. I've got a bunch of those original pages. So, 
Yeah, and I feel like that's a really good call because Madden is doing almost uh, uh, modified Archie character designs where you have mm-hmm. you know big eyes and tiny little noses, but then you also have if you look at Thunderhead, Thunderhead and maybe Hard Drive, depending on who's doing the penciling, are the only ones that you could transition straight into a Justice League issue and not have any issue with them standing out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The other characters are going to look like, you know, homemade cosplay weirdos, no matter where they go. And I, I kind of love that. I feel like Madden has this weird design. If you look at, for instance, monster girl, there's something about that design that is just off balance and wrong and weird, especially when she transforms, but it's perfect. Just the way the creator draws it. You know, it's one of those things that nobody else can ever quite draw it right. It's the George Perez thing of, you know, Deathstroke never looks right under anybody else's and pencils. That that was also something that was going on in the 90s a lot. You had creators, you had a lot of artists doing a lot more like exaggerated or stylized stuff. Yeah. That's when you have like your Joe Madureira and your Chris uh, Bacalo starting out. Um, so it's like, yeah, if you take a character that was designed by Chris Bacalo or Bacalo, I don't know what, I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, and then somebody else tries to draw it. They yep. can't because nobody has a nose that big. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Roberto Ramos comes out of that same time frame. Yeah. You know? yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. And yep. you yep. actually, you see it with Ramos because Ramos drew impulse impulse. And then they sent him over to another book and somebody else started drawing him. And the things that are just Umberto Ramos drawing that kid then became, hey, why does this guy have giant hair and big feet? Yeah, in they the kind of miss. They kind of miss the point. And I'm yeah. like, stop it. Yeah, you stop it. Jeff yep. Matsuda, that's another one, and he was drawing around that time too. And I think he gets kind of overlooked, but he's got kind of like yeah. big chunky style too. Yeah, yep. Matsuda is good, and um, Ed McGinnis came out uh, maybe a little later on, but Ed McGinnis mm-hmm. has another one of those big cartoon honky chonky mm-hmm. styles. And I'm yeah, just like, which, yeah, which I kind of like, I kind of, I kind of yeah. dig that. So uh, bottom line, uh, Matthew on young heroes in love. Well, here's the deal. Um, generation X white male speaking. This is a comic book. You say, who's this for? It's for generation X white males. There are things in here that have not aged well. There are some really, really icky, weird moments, you know, that we've talked about, about who's actually having sex with whom and is everyone fully informed. And I don't feel like as, as groundbreaking as it is, the, uh, by male relationship is particularly well portrayed because every time it comes up, it's like, what men kissing other men, you know? And I don't know. It has a charm. It has something going for it that. I don't feel like has ever been synthesized anywhere else. And as much as it kind of shoots every one of its own climax moments in the foot and, you know, you get to the end of the story and everything seems to be shoved in. And that last panel of that last issue is like, Hey, this is a great hook for all of the adventures. We're never going to have you guys. I like it now. I don't know that it's going to appeal to everybody, but here's the thing. If you listen to the way I talk, and you listen to the things I say about comics and you say, hey, this guy might have some points once in a while. It's worth checking out at the very least. And if you're old like me, buy it. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, the worst that can happen is you will spend uh, somebody wants to uh, charge you eighty nine dollars yeah. for Young Heroes in Love number six. Whereas if you look a little bit harder on uh, eBay, you can get Young Heroes in Love one through 17 complete set 
in a near mint condition for eight dollars and fifty cents plus fifteen fifty. Who wants to charge eighty nine dollars for an issue of Young Heroes in Love? Some somebody Everyone on on the eBay who owns a comic retail store. Yeah, <laughs> out of print, man. Find that person and you slap them here's, in the face. Here's somebody that wants slap to sell all all seventeen issues plus the million uh, issue for a hundred dollars. So there you go. So uh, uh, save your money and get that eight eight dollar and fifty I'll cent sell one. I'll you my copy for ten dollars. Or right or you could probably just dive into the quarter bin and find these relatively cheap. As I said earlier, you're not going to find this in trade paperback. It's not been collected. And so uh, for that reason, I can say don't don't overwork yourself on this. Um, this is a this is a big pass for me. Uh, if you want to pick it up and you want to flip through it, you might find some interesting uh, tidbits in there. But overall, it's it's somewhat disappointing um, looking back on this. Ashley. I do want to say that even though this was not as exciting for me as the Invincible TV show was or that weird comic that we read about where the cat drove the spaceship through dimensions. Mm -hmm. Don't remember what that was called, but loved that. Definitely recommend. Thank you. Definitely recommended it. Feel like I was the only person in the world who liked it. Um, Young Heroes in Love is very very popular. It is a series that is talked about. So if you, like myself, like to think that you are a smart and um, well-read person in anything that you're interested in, it's definitely worth looking at and examining for what it did right and what it did right for the time and the things that it went on to influence. I would definitely say that the series is a borrow. There's a lot of nice library apps that you can get it from completely free. And it's also a nice thing to support your local library in this way. Or uh, if you are all vaxxed and you have a nice friend in your bubble who has them in his closet somewhere, I bet if you ask nicely, uh, he, she, or they would lend them to you because comics folk tend to be pretty nice. I'm going to stick with that as if it were the truth. So <laughs> if anything that we talked about intrigued you, I think the series is definitely worth checking out. I think if you're interested in creating this type of story, it's definitely worth reading and dissecting what went well about it. And if you think it's not for you, that's probably the only opinion on it that you need to know. There you go. Rodrigo, you get the final say this week. Uh, definitely when I echo the content warning, there's a lot of um, consent issues in this book. So if definitely don't read it, if that's a that's going to be a, a big issue, even if it's a slight issue, maybe you don't want to. Um, I think that this book is considered by so many to be a good uh, series because in the 90s, people were like, man, superheroes suck. They just suck, man. Everything sucks. Everything's terrible. And people started doing new things with superheroes. And this did teenage superheroes kind of making out with each other uh, like really well. That's one thing that this series does really well. It's those relationships. And if you consider that we've moved on and now there's like all of these big, wacky, over the top superhero movies. And the fans of those movies are just like like thirstily, like trying to suss out a relationship between two given characters, between explosions, uh, like Young Heroes in Love is a smorgasbord of, of relationships between super <laughs> characters, right? It takes precedence over literally everything else. Um, so if you are interested in that, definitely it's a borrow because you shouldn't pay 120 bucks for an issue of this. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, if you can find it in your library, if you can, if you have a friend who has it, uh, definitely borrow it from them. Yep. Rodrigo, where can people find more of you on the internet? 
Uh, you can find most of the stuff I do at Fearsome Critter on Twitter. And of course, I'm on the uh, dun- uh, or in the uh, role-playing podcast that we do here, Critical Hit. Um, I get to play now, so I don't have to prepare nearly as much. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Matthew, what about you? Uh, you can find me in many of the fine podcasts at Majorspoilers.com or hang around with me at Mighty King Cobra on the Twitter, especially around 11 a.m. Central Time during my lunch break. Sometimes I get bored and tell you about stuff you didn't remember. Ashley, you're always busy. What are some of the things that uh, that you're doing and where can people find all of those things? Oh, you can presently find me talking to my plants um, and having uh, Mr. Jason and asking me who I'm talking to and why, because I'm very concerned about their anxiety levels. Uh, you can find me here most weeks when I'm not moving. You can find me on the Geek History Lesson podcast, which is in the Major Spoilers podcast feed. So get that critical hit and everything else that we've mentioned just by subscribing to the feed. Uh, we have Kevin Smith this week. Woo! It's really good. We correctly guessed the composer of Masters of the Universe months before it was announced, and he didn't even bat an eyelid. Uh, so go check that out. It's a really, really fun episode. Uh, and then if you're into theater and uh, you're into me pronouncing French words, check out the Wallace Studio Ensemble for some of our community reading. It's got a lot of my favorite collaborators in the L.A. space uh, also making questionable French pronunciations. There you go. That wraps it up for this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for listening, uh, dear listener, and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We love your feedback as much as you love my questionable French pronunciation. So join the rest of the cool kids at the Major Spoilers Discord server to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Or even better, send us an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We're going to be back next week to talk Dark Knight, a true Batman story by Paul Dini. Uh, We're going to be back for that. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Bad Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a king santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler.
wow, 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 wow. What a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.